This episode is sponsored in part by Backblaze, easy unlimited online backup for just $5 per month. Go to backblaze.com slash ATP to start your 15-day free trial. Hey guys, sorry for the shaky audio for the first five minutes of this. We were recording onto a dying hard drive, and then five minutes later we fixed it. So hang in there, and it gets better. Special thanks to Macro for letting us record in their in their awesome podcast studio here in sunny, windy San Francisco. Yes, I sound the same. <laughs> I don't think I sound any sexier. Well, could you sound any sexier, John? I mean, let's be honest. I'm just going to leave that one out there. <laughs> so stuff happened today. It was it really the keynote had an incredible mood and energy to it that I think that you know I think it started out first with Tim and. Uh, you could tell that his energy was up. He was very positive. He was almost aggressive towards competitors and just very lively, very energetic in general. And uh, I, I think, and you could tell all the pre- all the presenters kind of um, they went very quickly. Pace was very fast. It almost felt rushed at Although, times. Like, even before Tim came out, didn't you think it was weird that they started with that video? Like I know they, I think they probably started with videos before, but that video opening made me think like. Something because it wasn't like about a specific product or anything like that. It was about the philosophy of the company and little bouncing right. balls and like. And <laughs> you assumed it was previewing kind of the aesthetic theme of iOS seven, which it turned out kind of sort of was. And then the guys came out and raced cars, and you were like, "What? what? Yeah, I, I, we have to talk about that." It, it seemed like you know when when the car racing guys came out, I thought, "Okay, this is kind of early to be bringing out a third party demo, but maybe this is some like." This is something cool. Maybe they bought this company or they were integrating its technology somehow into iOS to provide some kind of cool AI stuff. And then it just turned out to be this kind of weird demo. Yeah, it killed that energy it, that you were just talking about. It did. Energy into the thing. And it's kind of good that that was at the beginning, but it was like, oh, this big, big intro movie. And then these car guys, you're like, eh. and then it started going again. And then after a while, you're like, you're thinking back, what, what was the deal with those guys with the car? Not that the cars weren't cool because it did look amazing, but tell me how that. Tell me, yeah. Tell me how that fit into the rest of the presentation. Right. Like, why was that there? It was not part of the theme. Because you were looking for maybe it's some AI. Nope. No AI theme. No, nothing nope. like that. It was just they were just there. Very, very strange. But other than that, I mean, I thought especially really, I think the star today was Craig Federighi. I really think more. he, yeah. you know, he, we, you know, everyone knew he, he he had like that shaky presentation a few years ago, and he's gotten better. Then, and he is just rock solid now, and he he had the best energy he had great banter like when he went off script for a few words or a sentence here and there he was solid well, the, and that's awesome the, the secret to going off no maybe those were all scripted and he planned the that's jokes true. ahead of time but when you do it well we're not supposed to know which parts you're ad-libbing which parts you're you see the weaker presenters like the guy uh earlier in an nda session i'll, I'll, I'll tell you about the joke he did in the nda session like where he had a picture of said it's not my boss like that one he had rehearsed right and you could tell yeah, that he, was pretty clear you could tell he had rehearsed so the secret is making us not be able to tell uh and yeah, with Craig, Craig's presentation when his hand was shaking on the mouse and he was having trouble doing the gestures, it was like two years ago or something. Two even, years ago. Even that presentation probably wasn't that bad if you just watched him. But the fact they gave you the close up of his hand, you realize, oh God, this guy is that nervous. And for all we know, he was that nervous this time too, but we couldn't tell. And so now it's like, you can't even think back. Just shaking out of his mind. Now it's hard to imagine that his hands, maybe they were shaking, but you could not tell. He was just smooth sailing and just punching, punch, punch all the, all the competitors just. Well, not only all the competitors, but they were punching themselves. 
in that there were so <laughs> many. Stop hitting yourself. Yeah, right. There were so many attacks or like uh, uh, backhanded attacks on on skeuomorphic design and linen and leather. Like, what was the joke about? Um, Oh, the green felt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this, we don't need the stitching to hold hold it to the screen anymore. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, like, were, it's oh. kind of like when Microsoft would slam like the previous version of Windows is crap, <laughs> and this new version of Windows is great. And usually, you don't see Apple see Apple do the Steve Jobs thing. We're like, we here's iOS six, and iOS six is great, and we love iOS six. And then and then he tells you how great iOS seven is. But here they were kind of like, here's iOS six without saying so much, and it was. And it had leather, and it had green felt, and it was gross, and like, and that's weird for Apple. That is very weird. Yeah, it seemed like they were listening to everything that we were comp- that we were complaining about for all these years. They were listening with us, and and you know, in, in most ways. I mean, at least the people, we'll the the people on stage bit, did. Right, exactly. Yeah, who knows? But you know, I don't know if it was a good day to be Scott Forstall or not. But but yeah. nobody knows that really. But I think it was really. A very surprisingly bold energy from the presenters and from what they showed us. You know, I think it's it's clear that especially like with Tim, Tim was really on fire about against Android. Yep. And I think this was, you know, Tim's Tim obviously is the kind of guy like he'll he'll sit back and wait until he has something really great to say. And you know, he's patient. He's a, you can tell he's a man. He will sit back and wait, let the press rake them through the coals for six months about how they're not doing anything. And then come out and just have a keynote like this, which is just packed full of awesome stuff. Cool. Uh, are we back? We are back. All right. What the hell are we just talking about? All right. So keep, keep your eye on that. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> what I was saying was that I found it very interesting that that Tim Cook, you know, he's a Southern guy, which, which is not a bad thing at all. He's very deliberate when he talks. He's very slow when he talks, and, and not in a bad way. Just he he wants to make sure he says what he wants to say. And so today. He and every other presenter that that we saw seemed very rushed. They were they were trying to get through things. Not rushed. I'm nervous. Just rushed. We have a lot to cover. And that and I took a few notes on um, with this barbaric pen and paper that I have. And uh, and that was the first thing I wrote down was that oh man, Tim is in a hurry. And if Tim is in a hurry, we must be in for one heck of a show. And I I feel like we got a heck of a show. Uh, part of it could have been timing. Because someone commented, I don't remember who was you that like they came in almost exactly at two hours. Right, yeah. and the other part of it is, I think that it's like a Hollywood action movie where they're there's not they're not trying to rush through the content so much as they don't want you to get bored ever. With the, again, with the exception of the cars, <laughs> and so <laughs> right. they were like the second you you know they don't dwell on something for too long. And I think a lot of in a lot of the Steve Jobs presentations, he would be enamored with some particular feature, whether it's like how Windows minimized the dock or like some feature of an application. And at a certain point, Steve is more fascinated with it than the rest of the audience is. And we're like, yeah. okay, Steve, we get it. We know it's cool. Go on to the next thing. And in this one, there was none of that. They would show you a feature. You'd be wowed by it. They'd move on to the next one. Like just get moving. No. And con- contrast this to the one last year we had, where he had the interlude section where he, with the video with the, with the blind person navigating where he was, the video itself was kind of slowly paced, and he came on before it and talked with a lot of pauses and a lot of tenting of the hands and doing all that. I don't remember if he did Steve Jobs, but it was very slow and deliberate where he wanted to have, like, a break. Now it's like, we don't have time for breaks. we got stuff to show. we got competitors to punch in the face. we got ourselves to punch in the face. We need to just <laughs> go, go, go. Yeah, it, it was just nonstop. With the exception of that weird car demo, like, the rest of it was just rock solid. There was never a point where I was bored. There was never a point. I mean, it was just. It was maybe Apple, maybe Apple retail was a little boring in the beginning because we're like, come on. Oh yeah, that doesn't count. <laughs> that's a, everyone assumes that's the, pal- the palate cleanser. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
All right, before we continue, let's talk about our first sponsor, and then we'll get into the uh, major topics of the day. Um, Our first sponsor is Backblaze. It's unlimited online backup for just $5 per month. And I use Backblaze. John, you do too, right? I do. I do use it on this. In fact, it was the first online backup product that I ever bought many, many, many years ago. I don't know how long it was. Uh, But yeah, and I've used it continuously. I've never left it since then. Yeah, they Backblaze is unlimited, and their speeds are not throttled at all. You can upload all your files as quickly as your bandwidth allows. They even have an iOS app that allows you to access all your files on the go. It's pretty new. It, it's pretty awesome. It's a great feature. Um, they back up all your data by default. Music, photos, videos, documents, presentations, anything. It's 5 bucks a month, or $50 a year, or $95 for two years uh, per computer. Unlimited space. I have like two and a half terabytes in Backblaze from my computer, and then my wife has, I think, another two terabytes on hers. We just have tons of data up there, um, especially like if you have a fast connection like FiOS. It's it's a lifesaver. It's just awesome. Uh, really, I can't I can't express how great Backblaze is. I love it. I I've used it now for, I think, about two years. And they even they had this big blog post a couple years ago where they they showed how they made their own uh, storage pods, and they they even I believe like. They like open source the design of them or something like that, where you can like you can if you want to you can like build your own giant rack mount thing full of hard drives for you know it shows them how they do it how how you know how they store all this data it's just great service. Um, there have been a number of times where they've saved me where like I I I'd, like forgotten a file on my home desktop when I was off out on vacation and it wasn't in Dropbox and I couldn't reach my desktop so I could log into Backblaze and restore that file from the web interface and yeah it's. Great service. Can't recommend them enough. Thank you very much to Backblaze for sponsoring the show. Go to backblaze.com slash ATP. Uh, let them know you came from us. And uh, just 5 bucks a month, unlimited online backup. Great great service. All right, back to the show. Um, I think, you know, there, there was the OS X thing, which, uh, John, before I know we don't want to spend too much time on that, but what do you think of the name? I don't think I like the name. I thought the name was absolutely I, absurd. I don't like that it's plural, and I understand that it's a place name, and it's talking about the—I guess it's talking about the waves that are there. But it, it, you know, I don't name whatever. The name is the name. I didn't like a lot of the cat names too. I can think of lots of other interesting California place names, but I assume they're not going to use any names that a non-Californian would recognize. Like I don't expect uh, OS10 Sacramento. You know what I mean? Or Los Angeles <laughs> or San Francisco or any other of the cities that an East Coaster could name. It's going to be places that we – I can't think of the names. But I do really like the big wave logo. I like the little skinny X, uh, even though none of those aesthetics seem to be reflected in the OS itself. Yeah, it seems like they, they did dramatically change the iOS aesthetics, but the OS ten aesthetics look pretty much the same. With the exception of the Maps app and the iBooks app, which have – weird iOS 7 looking icons and now they look out of place on the metal dock next to all the other <laughs> stuff. So, yeah. Now, are you going to continue to do reviews? Because everyone as soon as this happened, anyone around us was asking, "Oh, are you still going to do it because they're not big cats anymore? Oh my goodness, is the world coming to an end?" Right, is this going to be the last one what, maybe what or are you going to start do? are you going to do the next 10? Yeah, I don't know. I was looking for an end to the cats as a, as a place to put a cap on it, but now that the end has come, I start thinking that I like having done all the big cats, so now I feel like I stop at any point and say, well, I did all the big cat releases, right? <laughs> and, and there is a little bit something about 10.10, even though this is technically the 10th release because we started from zero. Uh, when 10.10 comes, I don't know. I, like, 
I'll stop. I have to stop eventually, right? I don't know when that's going to be, but it's not going to be now. I'm going to review this one because, like, the release date is what I wanted. They said the fall. I feel like I will have time to do it. This does not look like it's a big release. I think the review will be shorter. This does look kind of like a Snow Leopard release because aside from them enhancing a couple of applications in interesting ways and enhancing notifications and little things like that, a lot of the stuff they talked about was internal stuff. Uh, And that's good. I give that a thumbs up. Uh, But it also means I don't think there's, you know, how many screenshots do you have of memory compression? Probably not a lot, right? <laughs> yes, but how much time will John Syracuse spend writing up all these little internal foibles and bits and so on? It depends on how much information I can get about them because, like, there's not going to be a session on their implementation of memory compression, right? And so, like, how do I extract information, right. you know, te- super technical details about it other than just simply explaining it to people who don't know what it is in a reasonable way? That expands out to somewhat, but I don't know how much detail I can get into because it's not anything that's not a developer feature, they're not going to spend time at WWC explaining. The developer features I think they're going to explain are like how to make your app more memory uh, more memory efficient, more uh, more battery efficient and the the app nap things, like things that interact with your application. They will probably spend a long time explaining how those things work, and I'll be able to expand on those. But some of the stuff that was in the keynote, like all the all I'm going to hear about it is what was in the keynote and what's in like those PDFs. Like they published a PDF of just technical details, but not really. And that's the last I'll hear of those things, right? And then just the proof will be in the pudding. I'll use the thing and say, does it work like they say? Is it better? Whatever. And you know, at the last minute, they're going to apply a new theme and make you change your screenshots. <laughs> oh, God. That's that would be that would be terrible. So I should say that the three of us sat together in the keynote, and I feel like there were there was a moment in which it was clear that they were about to announce the release date, and I could feel all of the stress and anxiety and tension in the air from from my friend John to my left because. You were you were a little nervous, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, it was like that last year and the year before too. And but the the difference was coming in. I think both years coming in, I had thousands of words written already coming into WWDC because they had done like the, the super secret preview and they right. had released developed. But this was like total radio silence. So that was kind of helpful in one respect. Be like, look, they can't release it. Like we haven't even seen it. What are they going to do? People have to have their apps work. But on the other hand, it could have been this was a really slim release and they figured everyone's apps will still be compatible and it would be you know coming out in July fourth and then I would be screwed. <laughs> but no, as I said, fall. I like fall. I, I encourage them to take as much time as they need. All right. So, do we want to cover the, the new hardware? Yeah, let's do let's do keynote order. So next, I mean, MacBook Airs. I don't think there's that much to say. Uh, I think what we really want to talk about is the new R two D two Mac Pro trash can. <laughs> so, gentlemen, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. What do we think? Well, I said on the last show that. Uh, even if they don't make a machine that suits my needs, if they if they feel like they're fulfilling the spirit of the Mac Pro by doing something that has just massive performance, even if it has to be some crazy-ass thing, you know, like I said, with, a, with PCI Express SSDs and in some crazy arrangement, like, they decided they could make something cooler or better by not having stuff inside it, fine. Then at least, like, at least it will be daring and interesting. And I think this fulfills that criteria. It is daring. It is interesting. They did crazy stuff with it. And they did crazy stuff because they felt it was better. And it seems like this machine is also focused on being much more powerful and capable than an iMac. In some respects. In other respects, people point out, look, it may be that you can spec out an iMac with more internal storage in this thing. And that's kind of depressing. Oh, I, that's almost definite. But you will not be able to spec out an iMac with like more GPU strength in this thing. Because it's got those two gigantic, you know, whatever, professional 3D GPUs in it. And that's... They've made this machine for people who know what those GPUs are and who actually need them to do their work, which, again, does not 
help me and does not fulfill my criteria for the Mac Pro, but it is totally a daring, new, interesting, bold design that they seem really committed to and excited about and had that cool video with the, the big booming bass and the, the Darth Vader look of the, the entire thing. I give that all thumbs up, but I am sad that they didn't make a machine that suits my needs. It does not have internal drive bays. The GPUs do not look well-suited for gaming, or at least the drivers won't be, I suspect. Uh, it's going to be stupidly expensive and not had a lot of internal storage. And then... Like, this is the most un-Apple-like thing. And again, time has to tell because this is going to release in the fall. Are they expecting everybody to buy third-party monitors, third-party 4K monitors, which they mentioned in the keynote, and third-party external Thunderbolt enclosures for drives? Like, Apple's not even going to sell one of those? It, you know, if Apple made one of those and it, like, matched the machine, people would buy it even if it was crazy expensive. And now we're kind of thrown to the wolves. Okay, well, here's this little trash can, and you go out and figure out what you want to connect to it. Good luck. Yeah, I thought it was really wild. And as someone who has no selfish interest in a Mac Pro. It seemed to me like, and you touched on this, John, it seemed to me that they they were fixing the problem of what do professional um, video and audio and basically media people And 3D. And 3D, exactly right. You know, it's not for you guys who just want an extraordinarily beefy Mac. It's not for Marco who maybe just doesn't want to have cables all over the place. It's for someone who is working at a studio, define studio however you please, and it's going to solve that problem, which I think it did fairly effectively. Well, like the Pixar people, then they announced that they were going to have, if you want to see how the Mac Pro performs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the tomorrow lunch session. Yeah, come go doing. to go, and, and Pixar is going to go and show how they can real-time render stuff with their, you know, because that's... I mean, that's, it's not really going to give us that much information, though, No, it's not, not, but, not but, the but they're going to show off what, what dual uh, professional quality GPUs can can handle in there, and they're not they're not gaming GPUs, and as far as I can tell, those are the only options, is those crazy... Things. Like, that was always an option when you bought a Mac Pro. That, what you could pick from the video cards was like, uh, you'd pick, you know... Uh, the the crappy stock video card, which sometimes didn't even have active cooling. It just had like a passive heat sink from those days. And then you'd pick, you know, maybe one or two cards that are bigger than that. And then there was always the option was like, add $3,000. And it was like NVIDIA, whatever. <laughs> but, and you would never want that unless yeah, you're going to run Maya on it, right? And nobody would want those. And they and actually, their gaming performance was not that great because the drivers for, for those things in gaming would not be, you know, but, they, but professional 3D people needed them. And we would never pick that one. But now it's like you get it whether you want it or not. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to end up buying this machine because I want to play games on it. I don't want to have to buy a gaming PC. And if it turns out that, like, the top of the top of the line Retina iMac or whatever has better gaming performance, I'm going to have to end up with an iMac instead of that thing. God. What will the world come to? No, it's a nightmare. I think, I mean, the the new machine, it's it's really interesting. You know, they, they did, they had this goal, I think, of making something bold and new and obviously the typical Apple modern values of making it smaller. Um, but they, you know, in order to accomplish that, what we have, what we have is, is a machine that has reduced choice and that does not cover many of the edge cases of needs that the previous Mac Pros covered. And I have to wonder, like, you know, so they made this thing really small, but, you know, I didn't really need it to be small. You know, like no, like Mac Pro customers weren't really complaining that often that the things were big. I mean, when you'd have to move them, it kind of sucked to have the handles cut into your hands because they weighed like 60 pounds. But, you know, for the most part, it wasn't that big of an issue. Um, you know, and, and you're right, you know, like, you know, now now everyone's going to get these GPUs. So everyone's going to have to pay for these GPUs. Now, standalone workstation class GPUs used to be about $1,000 or $1,200 each as options. Now we have two of them, and that's the only option. So who knows what we're going to be paying for this machine. It, they also, you know, there's no more internal drive bays. 
There's internal PCI Express SSDs that looks like there's room for two modules. They look like they're probably custom modules, and so we probably won't be able to easily upgrade them, at least not for a while. And Apple's going to charge a bazillion dollars for them. Like exactly. They, like they always do. Exactly. Because it, it looks like the one the demo unit they had with the lid off upstairs, um, there, there's, a, there's a spot for a second slot on the motherboard, but the connector isn't even soldered on there. So it's like this, this was an option when they screened the board, but they didn't even put the, the connector on there if it wasn't configured yeah. with that. And, you know, who knows how it will ship, but it's, it's looking like it might be like you have to buy it with two cards if you want that much storage. And so, you know, and that's what it's because of the, the kind of module they're using that's going to limit the amount of storage. I'm guessing the maximum might be one terabyte or 960 gigs when it ships if it's two 480 modules. Um, maybe they'll be able to crank it up and get two 768s and have it be 1.5 uh, terabytes. Either way, it's going to cost a fortune for that storage. And, um, and, and you know, there's no hard drive options. There's no 2.5-inch bay. And there's no PCI slots, which is going to anger video people because they're going to have to buy new capture hardware and, and you know, all the PCI hardware that, you, that people used to use. The thing is they emphasize, like, oh, and it's, it's so quiet and we got this fan and everything. You have to hook up external drives to it. And... It, Apple doesn't make a super quiet, black, sleek right. Thunderbolt. So now I have to take this beautiful... Maybe Let's say this thing is beautiful and quiet and sleek and I sit it on my desk. Now I have to just you know, buy some random third-party Thunderbolt drive enclosure that's going to have its own fans and its own stupid noise. Well, so much for the quietness. Like It's not like you can... <laughs> how long is the maximum Thunderbolt cable? It's not like I can put them in a closet. It's not... You know, I guess I could have like I think network drives are going to become more popular. <laughs> it, like, it's not. It doesn't provide the complete. Even for people who want to do like video editing stuff, I don't. How are they going to value the quietness and size? Because it's com- immediately compromised by the way they have to use it, unless they're all using sands for everything. I don't know. Well, I, I'm actually, I think a big production house that they usually do. But well, I don't then know. why have six Thunderbolt ports in the back of it? Right. <laughs> I guess for six monitors, maybe. Yeah, I, I bet monitors are actually a big reason why. But I think, and also one big problem with video is that there's no longer a dual socket model. Uh, this appears to be single socket only. They're, they are going to use the Xeon E5 with the Ivy Bridge EP coming out. I mean, this, uh, yeah, the Ivy Bridge EP coming out this fall. Um, it is going to max out at 12 cores, but that's only because Intel's making a 12 core E5 this fall. <laughs> um, if they were continuing with their old way of doing things, you could have gotten 24 cores. I mean, there's like, you know, they, they moved to single socket, which allowed them to make the whole thing much smaller, much lower power needs, uh, much lower thermal needs. But. Video editors are going to really, I think, not react well to this machine for both the lack of card slots and for the uh, the only single socket option. And those are the people who are buying Mac Pros, like all the all the really high profit dual socket models that start at like five thousand dollars today. They're the ones who buy all those high profit machines, and they're the ones who like the iMac will not work for them, and it will never work for them because they actually need as much CPU performance as they can get to do their jobs well yeah, and to be economical. I think this is like a bet on the future of like, they assume more and more stuff is going to be moving to the GPU. And they're right. counting on people to rewrite their applications to use more OpenCL and to farm stuff off because it's going to have so much more performance on those GPUs than it will have on that one CPU. Like, and it's just a question of tapping it. Because if you think about it, like, very little you can do with that Mac Pro is going to tap those two GPUs, except for running a huge number of monitors and running like Maya or something that takes advantage of them or something that right. always use workstation. And everything else is just those, those GPUs just sleeping there. Right. Like, like, like not, if I get one of these things, it's going to be such a waste of those GPUs because yeah. it's going to be showing text editors most of the time and, and Xcode. Right. <laughs> and, the, and the thing is, like, we're always, you know, you always want, we want everything, right? But so it's, it's a desktop class machine that's not a Mac Mini, so thumbs up there. And it's not an iMac, it doesn't have an integrated screen, so thumbs up there. And 
a lot of it we loved. We loved the Xeons, the ECC RAM, and it would make your text editing better because you're pulling stuff off a really, presumably a super fast PCI Express attached SSD. And so things will open really fast. Like, it's got all those good qualities and then two grand worth of GPU that you don't want that you can't get rid of. Right. And so, and we don't know, you know, the, the pricing of this is going to be very interesting because we don't know how much we're going to be charged for those GPUs. Yeah. It's not going um, to, it's not going to be the same cost as putting two big NVIDIA cards in there. It's not going to be four grand worth of, of GPUs. The question is how much can they shave off by right. soldering these things to the boards, having only one Xeon. Like, and by having this be the only option for every Mac Pro buyer, they have to have some volume advantage. Maybe they got a nice deal from AT or from AMD uh, on, on the GPUs. I mean, who knows? But it, that's, that's a big question yeah. mark, I think, is, is the pricing and how much we're paying for those GPUs. Um, and it looks like they're not upgradable. Uh, they, they, they have some kind of weird custom way to attach to the, to the, to the main like CPU motherboard, but it doesn't look like this is going to be upgradable in any way except RAM and maybe those disk modules. Yeah, everything in it is weird and custom. Even the RAM like seems to fold out on these little like gills on the side yeah. of the thing. With, like a little, <laughs> That little plastic latch opens up and then the, the RAM modules flap out. Like, it's totally weird and custom. It looks kind of like, I mean, someone posted a picture of the 20th anniversary Mac subwoofer. <laughs> yeah. like, but the 20th anniversary Mac was also similarly custom, and as are all of the Macs. Like, if you look at all the Airs or the MacBook Pros, nothing inside them is standard. Everything is made specifically for that model to fit exactly, and that's true of the Mac Mini. And the only computer left that it wasn't true of was the Mac Pro, because it's like, oh, that video card that's in there, that wasn't made, like, custom. For, I mean, it was in terms of, like, manufacturing, but it was, it's a regular standard PCI Express card, right? And you could take that card out, and it will physically fit inside a PC. It won't, probably won't work because, of the you know, the right. you'd have to flash the thing. But, like, it's made to a standard that was not made by Apple. Nothing in this thing is a standard thing except, <laughs> ma- like, maybe the CPU and the and dims. The dims are <laughs> yeah, about it. Everything it. else is some crazy board that, you know, there's no standard SATA connector, and there's no 2.5-inch bays, 3.5-inch. There's no optical drive bay. There's, you know, there's nothing about it that's standard. And so now, now it fits with the rest of Apple's product line because this is their vision of how to build computers. Well, nothing on the inside is standard, but there's, what, four Thunderbolt ports? Six. Four, six Thunderbolt ports. There's, like, four or six uh, USB ports. So I think the, the interesting thing about it is that there's nothing that's inside that's standard with the exception of the RAM, but almost every connection to the outside world is standard. Yeah, no more, standard. No, no more ADC port or any other weird exotic right. things. In fact, very few ports at all. Like, they just have – I wonder if those, those uh, audio ports are the, the fake little optical – like, cause the back of my Mac Pro has actual dedicated optical ports in addition to the yeah you have like, like little spit-off ports yeah right and like yeah. all that all that stuff like I wonder how much they've sacrificed there and I wonder how many, much people care the, the other thing about it is the power supply we're debating whether is is the power supply internal or is there a brick yeah. and it does appear to have a regular uh, you know the three prong uh, yeah, NUMA so, or NEMA whatever it is the plug the standard plug it does appear to have the same roughly yeah, the same type so, so it's almost certainly internal. Uh, and I was thinking of it from audio perspective, like, because the, the Power Mac G5 had terrible, like, you'd get this electronic noise inside the thing that would show up on your audio. Uh, and I, I still get it sometimes, like, you know, with, because the analog audio out, I was thinking, well, if I use optical audio out, maybe that would be isolated. Like, it was just a big box of electrical noise. And this one, you would presume, would solve those problems just because well, also, so much it would left be, in the box. It would be a significant uh, heat issue if they had a brick. They would have to have a fan in it. Because that the, the, you know these the, the the highest TDP for the for the series of Xeons they're using for the twelve cores is like one hundred and thirty yeah, watts yeah. for the CPU alone. Yeah, well, I wonder about I wonder about the whole thing in terms of power because those GPUs are not cool. Like each right. one of those would would require like a big active cooler on each of those cards plus gigantic fan on the CPU. Uh, I guess they get away with not having hard drives in there probably saves a lot on heat. The thermal design does look really nice, and and I do like for noise reasons. I do like how the fan appears to be the only moving part. Um, but you know, it, it is, I, I think my two big questions on it, which I guess we'll learn closer to launch, 
my two big questions are entry price and retina displays. Yeah. Because all that GPU power, you know, maybe the reason why they beefed up the GPUs like crazy for everyone who buys this thing, maybe the reason why is that they expect to actually ship a retina desktop display sometime during the lifetime of when people are going to own this thing. And whether it's at launch, that's, that's you know, pushing it, I think. But, but you know, maybe next year they, they release a retina desktop display that you can plug into this. Do, do you think they decided yeah. that the users they're targeting with this already have displays or don't want Apple displays anyway? Like, I, that seems crazy to me. Maybe someone in the industry knows, oh, we never buy the Apple displays. We always have our specially calibrated whatever display. But that, like, it seems like leaving money on the table. Like, if you're going to sell someone this really expensive computer and they configured, at least have an option for, like, oh, and pick the Apple super expensive 4K display, even if it's not better than third party, like, because you're going to make money on it. And if you make it nice and it matches the display, people will buy it, I guess, right? I get, maybe we'll see we'll see at the launch event. Maybe they maybe they have a new new displays for people to buy. Maybe they don't. I don't know. Yeah. I, and, and the hard drive drives annoying me because it's like you're going to buy this Mac Pro for a bazillion grand and now you do not have uh, you can't do a time machine backup because oh you yeah. got to you got to buy you got to buy Thunderbolt disk for that. Now you just now you're just like a, a an iMac user. Oh, you need you need you need a stupid external <laughs> Goodness, no. Yeah, time machine like time machine is is one of the reasons why I so appreciate all my internal drive bays cuz it's like I don't I just I hate the as Casey said I hate the clutter of a desk covered in hard drive enclosures and all those extra cables and power bricks that the, that come with them. And you have and, to turn the hard drives on because they're not bus powered. Right, and all all that crap. I hate all that stuff. And you know, these days we are seeing a lot of moves towards network storage things and like time capsules. They, I'm sure they want you to buy that instead. Um, you know, like there's all the oh, they don't historically they have not worked nearly as well as local discs for for time yeah, machine. No, even even just but, firewire attached discs. Internal SATA has been the most reliable way to do time machine or super duper or anything. Like yep. no problem. It's quieter and it runs cooler. Discs spin down when they're not in use. There's no extra power. It's just, you know. Yeah, so I I think this will be interesting. I think I'm probably going to end up buying one just because I really want that CPU power and and that will help me a lot. But it is a little disappointing that, like, what, what the compromises that they made that don't necessarily seem like they're achieving goals that any of us are really asking for. Yeah, well, it's Apple's goal. Go ahead, Casey. Yeah, and so that's the thing is that it seems to me like Apple took their vision of what, excuse me, what a uh, what a media person would want, what a studio would want, and they said, oh, they're going to want an enormous amount of graphic power and a pretty fast CPU, and that's all they should need. When, as you guys were talking about, in reality, that might not really match up with what a studio would actually want to buy. So it's as though Apple invented this phantom persona that they wanted to build this thing for. But it's certainly not you guys who want a gazillion internal drives and a lot and, a, and the ability to add and remove things easily. And it may not even be for the studios because they're going to want the, the their own video cards. They're going to want more internal storage, et cetera, et cetera. You think they had to have been in touch with some vendor. one would well, think. they didn't have a video. Like sometimes they have a video of like you know we the people who they built this thing for. Like sometimes they do it with software or whatever. Like oh this this new version of whatever is amazing and I love this new version of Aperture changes the way I and they and they show all the photographers who presumably they had some kind of early feedback with. Like they must have had not a phantom persona, uh, you know, but like a real. I mean, it's like, maybe God, Pixar. Yeah, uh, maybe Pixar. Maybe that's why they're doing the lunch session. Say, oh, Pixar loves these now. They can run Maya really well, and it doesn't take up a lot of room. And they just you know. But like, who, I think there is a phantom customer. But I wonder like why that's decided to focus on. And th- this machine, though, it seems like the philosophy that it adheres to is the one that Apple has for all of its hardware: custom parts, as small and as quiet as possible, as simple as possible, uh, no standard anything. We are not a PC manufacturer. We don't make a box that you can slap a bunch of stuff into. And because slowly, all of Apple's computers stop being that. 
until mm-hmm. there was almost nothing in them that was like standard or standard opening or card slots or whatever. And even like the hard drives, like we can replace those with our own, not really custom, but sort of custom little, you know, instead of SATA 2.5 inch SATA drives, we can use these little, uh, what is it, the M SATA connector? Or yeah, whatever. like the sticks. And then, but it's not, it's like, like uh, I think uh, Anantech had, uh, uh, he, he was he was analyzing like trying to try to figure out what it was, and he said it, there was like this M two, yeah. it was like Microsata two. I think that it, it didn't appear to be that, and it looks like it's just a custom connector, custom modules, custom everything. Yeah. And, so like uh, that that's yeah. how that's how they decide that's how you make computers from now on. Right. Is, is in in the same way that the MacBook Air is made. It was the precursor. And now all their computers are like that, all the way down to the Mac Pro, which is just a philosophy that I don't think they consulted on other people. Hey, you guys, do you right. think we should make the battery sealed in on all our laptops? Do you think we should get rid of 2.5 inch SSDs and replace them with these little stick things? Like they just decided this this is the way computers should be built. This is the way Apple computers are going to be built. And then also, oh, by the way, what would you guys like? Okay, we'll build you one of those <laughs> using our philosophy of all custom parts and crazy stuff like that. Right. And and certainly I think this is going to bring Apple more profit because now you know we can still probably put in third-party RAM, but now we can't put in third-party drives anymore. That machine will just reject and, third-party RAM. It'll be, you'll try to put it in, <laughs> but it will spit it out the side and, and grind it up in the central fan and it will come out in chunks. Like, I'm sorry. I only accept Apple-approved RAM. <laughs> Mac Pro Shredder. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about our second sponsor, and then we'll move on to iOS 7. Good? All right. Our second sponsor is Windows Azure Mobile Services. They make it faster and easier to build a cloud-connected iOS app. Mobile Services takes care of the glue code necessary for storing data in the cloud, authenticating users via Facebook or Twitter, and sending push notifications. If you've ever tried to send a push notification before, you know configuring that can get pretty complex pretty quickly. With Windows Azure Mobile Services, adding push to your iOS app is as simple as typing push.apns.send and specifying a device token and payload. It's really quite simple. If you're looking to build an iOS app or to connect an app you already have, take a look at Windows Azure Mobile Services. You can get started today for free, and you can even see videos, including our friend Brent Simmons, uh, telling you all about mobile services and uh, all the cool stuff they're doing. This is really cool stuff from Microsoft. More info is available at windowsazure.com slash iOS. Thanks again to Windows Azure Mobile Services for sponsoring the show. iOS 7 gives you many new reasons where you might want to send push notifications to your application. It does, actually, yeah. That's a perfect segue, John. That's very true. So uh, what do do we think about iOS 7? I got to tell you, I haven't – so Marco put it on his night – I mean his – not normal phone and uh, his his old 4s <laughs> and and we've all played with it for I don't know maybe between all of us a sum total of five minutes and right. so we haven't had a chance to really process and think about it um, since I'm talking I'll start with my own thoughts uh, my first thought is I don't know what to think I, I feel like I need to chew on it a little while because it is it is it is bold it is absolutely bold and. The, the other thing I will say is the first thought that I had, and I think all of us had, the moment we saw the home screen is, holy crap, those icons have got to go. They're just rough. Well, actually, the first thought I had when I saw this, when they finally revealed what it looks like, and even in that little demo video with the dots in the, that was in the beginning, is – so we we – we complain about giving credit to like, oh, the, you're not the first person to make something with a touch screen. But we give credit to Apple because they, they made the first one that didn't suck or whatever. Or, uh, you know, Apple kind of with making a phone that's all a screen. Like, oh, Nokia had a phone that was all a screen beforehand. Like, the, those earlier ones don't count. It's like whoever whoever sort of 
I mean, right or wrong, like whoever popularized it, whoever was famous enough and did the thing, they get the credit because no one knew about it when it was just on the Nokia phone, but then when Apple did it, you know, touchscreen phones are everywhere, or the GUI or any of these other things. And in this case, I really feel like this this visual style, which is well, the first thing that hits you in the face with this, seeing the home screen, seeing all the other stuff, credit to this visual style, planting the flag in this, goes to Microsoft with Metro. They they were not the first person to come up with this style. They were responding to like the things in the air about the design community, but they put that flag in the ground. And I remember talking about it on a Hypercritical where they where we were talking about after I just watched that Windows Metro video for Windows 8 for like an hour and a half and then looked back at my iOS device and it looked old and creaky and clunky. And so this does not look exactly like Metro. It isn't a ripoff of Metro, but Microsoft is the one who planted the flag of this is the new visual style. And if you stare at this long enough, even if you hate it and think it's ugly, when you look back at your other thing, your other thing looks crappy. And I think iOS 7 is following that trend in terms of Microsoft planted the flag and Apple followed. And it will probably, ugly icons aside, will probably have the same effect where if you stare at it for a long period of time as you're developing your app, when you go back to your iOS 6 and you look at it, you're going to be like, ugh, it's like it's going to be like pinstripes. No matter how much you hate the ugliness of iOS 7, I think that effect is going to be there. And that that is it's startling to me. And like as, as Gruber said in his post, it's, this is a polarizing thing. But I, I feel like there's going to be a ratcheting effect where you, we won't be able to go back. I think it's, I would even say it's it looks almost like it's been heavily influenced by both Windows Phone and Android in a lot of its graphical uh, treatments and styles. Like I think the the um, the new toolbar icons yeah, in the Safari button, which is like the, the, yeah. the box, with like the almost everywhere out. that we've seen uh, that we've seen a toolbar icon that wasn't just text that it's actually it's actually an icon drawn. They look very Androidy in their designs well, and in, in their style, mm-hmm. and yeah, they, they're they're like all like thin abstract lines. Like it it really does look like Android. And then, you're right, the rest of the system looks a lot like like Windows, and and not not like. You know, not not the point where you'd confuse them, but you could tell like this is obviously a very heavy like, influence. In the same way that you can say that like, Android does not look like iOS, but you're going to say, but face it, Android is the way it is because iOS came right. along and made an OS where you only interact with it. With, because if you look at Android before iOS and after, and no one's going to say, oh, Android rip off the look and feel of iOS because it doesn't. It looks totally different. But you're going to say Android looks the way it does because iOS exists. And I'm going to say like both iOS seven and Android are, share the influence. I think at this point of Windows 8 Metro, which may not have been a successful product, but was the first highest profile, boldest iteration of that design philosophy, which, I, again, I don't think Microsoft necessarily invented, but it doesn't matter, just like Apple didn't invent the GUI or the touchscreen phone. It is, I mean, we should really, it really is remarkable to point out that Microsoft has set a new design trend. Yeah. Well, yeah or, I mean, not, I mean, I, I hesitate to say set, but like they are the standard bearer for it. They right. were there first. They they planted it and they were the big company that put it out there. And, and it's like other people would say when they saw Windows Metro, oh, that looks exactly like what I've been doing. And hundreds of little people probably all said that, but they aren't Microsoft. And that, that's just how the business works. And it's... Yeah, it's startling not just that it was Microsoft, but that Apple is now reacting to it. You know, with the yeah. Red, the Redmond Start Your Photocopy. Not that I'm saying they shouldn't react to it, because fashion and design trends, like, that's how it works. But this is one that Apple is not the standard bearer for. They're just not. No, and the thing that I thought was most surprising was during Tim's part of the keynote early on, I think it was his beloved customer sat, which I hate that. <laughs> but it, when he was talking about uh, customer satisfaction numbers and the way he was talking about Android – it felt like he knew that Android had a lot of users, but he just didn't believe in his heart 
that they were an actual competitor. And the way he was talking, even even though it was very briefly, the way he talked about Microsoft was that they were the ones that that Apple should be worried about. I mean, this is all based on in in my interpretation. It's not like he came out and said it, but it's just, I got this feeling that Microsoft was the actual competitor, and it was just hammered home by the way iOS 7 looks, because it is not a rip of Metro, but it's absolutely, you're right, it's a very heavily influenced by Metro. Like, like that's the direction everyone is going in, and, right. and Apple was not out there first as saying, come on, everybody, follow me. And it's weird, because usually the person who's out there first with the design direction of, like, hey, everybody, let's make touchscreen phones, is also the leader. And the market, and Microsoft is not the leader in the smartphone market, mm-hmm. or really anything else, you know, like these days. Uh, but they they were definitely the leader in that vision, and it's, I mean, I wonder. This is like all history stuff. Say Forstall is not there and doesn't for, There's no Forstall rise to power. Does Johnny Ive beat Windows Metro to the punch with with a software interface that looks like this? And the only reason he didn't was because the combination of Forstall and Jobs were so they loved so much right. leather and 3D effects and thick things and texture and like the story of Steve Jobs. Uh, someone showed their app to Steve Jobs in the elevator at at uh, Apple. Some Apple employee showed it to him, and Steve looked at it a few seconds and said, "This background needs more texture." And gave it back to him. You remember that story? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like they go, those guys just love texture, and that maybe that was a diversion. I think it was a fruitful diversion. I like the look of the old OS, but I gotta say, it starts looks pinstripey. Like even in the demo, when they said, "Here's yeah. like, here's how you can test your app to make sure the metrics still work in iOS six or seven. They switched it back to six mode, and everyone went, "Ooh, yeah!" Like it looked really old. <laughs> and, and this and this is not an audience that's like Gaga for iOS seven. Like we're not all, oh, iOS seven right. looks gorgeous. We're saying iOS seven looks weird, but it's it's the <laughs> contrast. It's like being dipped into you know hot water and then cold water. You're like, oh, I didn't like either one, but this feels cold now. <laughs> I, think, I think what's worth pointing out though is that you know while iOS seven does appear. You know, by looking at one static screen, it does appear very Metro-y in a lot of ways. Where they really departed from both what Android and what Windows is doing, uh, are doing, is uh, in the depth. And and it it was very important that nobody from Apple said flat at any point. The the word flat was never used to describe this design because it is not, you know, it's, it's not textured and not using gradients very much, but... If, you know, very much like like uh, Lauren Britter's letterpress, uh, there is a depth to the interface, and they use depth very clearly, and they use shadows, and they use translucency, which I'm a little iffy on. It looks a little bit Windows Vista-y, but um, you know, they they use they they make heavy use of layering, and then the parallax stuff, and the transitions are all different. It is very much like iOS before seven had all these textures and gradients and everything, but. The way things would move, like the way view controllers would push it onto was, the stack, it was, flat it was all yeah. You were just moving around flat, and, flat and planes. There, was, there wasn't a big separation. If you imagine them as a bunch of cards on the desk, the cards were all touching each other. Exactly, like they would slide past each other and in front of and behind. But there was never like, oh, this card is is a centimeter floating above the other. Exactly, one. and that's how Windows Metro feels. It, it, it they they do a little bit with the text uh you know like the text being kind of partially off screen you scroll it in like right. they do a little bit with that but for the most part it, it still feels like you're moving around flat panes yeah. and and iOS 7 I mean we haven't had time to play with it much yet but it, the way it looks in the videos and stuff it looks like it has this this great sense of depth and layers to it that that you don't really see in the other OSs. Yeah, they're trying to sell that, but that is a I mean this is let's talk about iOS 7 overall. That is a difficult transition to go from Everyone who's got their apps that look like the way they do now, and Apple says, here's a new direction, and 
when they show their own apps, like, sure, they can make a mail match that, and they can make a Safari match that or whatever. But if you look at Safari and compare to the old versions of Safari, and if you if you were to say, okay, well, that's how that's how much Safari had to change change to match into the the aesthetic and functional and conceptual model. Now take your app and how it looks. You have to change as much as Safari change, and that's a lot. That's not a little. It's not like, oh, just make right. your toolbar work. Because Safari is just wildly different in terms of how the toolbars work and how, you know, it just, it's practically a new app in terms of the UI. Like, none of the UI is shared. Like, the web rendering is shared and improved. But that's a lot of work to be able to fit into this new world. So it might be kind of like Apple's apps fit into this new world, and then you launch someone else's app. And it looks a little different, but the conceptual sort of physics model of how it works is the same. You're sliding things in and out. And, I mean, I guess you have the new animations on, like, the sheets that come up and stuff like that. But you're not going to be getting any, like, and I guess the picker, the, the picker has its little, you know, I don't know. It might be weird. Like, it might be weird to use this on day one and see all the built-in apps looking this way and all of the third-party apps looking like iOS 6 with a, a fresh coat of paint. Right, and the thing there were two things that struck me about it. The first was if the way I would describe iOS six is how would you make something look three D when you only have two dimensions to play with, and you would have and I, I don't know the the designy terms to describe it, but that's kind of how it felt. Was let's take something that's flat and make and let's pretend that you it's put, not. But shading on it, right? And iOS seven is I mean, obviously the screen is still flat, but iOS seven is now we are putting some actual depth into the interface and and it's not a fake anymore it's real and what are we going to do about that and so that that i think to me was the most striking difference and then in terms of what you were saying about the apps the funny thing about it is is as time went on with iOS 6 or you know iOS visual interface gen 1 everyone got more and more away from standard UI kit elements and so for example you know my little app that I have in the App Store, it looks extraordinarily dated now because I never really bothered with uh, with appearance proxies or anything like that. I never did custom uh, UI elements. And so now, at this very moment, or at least up until today, it looked very old. But I ran, I downloaded the new Xcode and ran it in, excuse me, in the new Xcode, and it actually looked just fine. So but the, the advantage of staying with, you know, standard UI kit elements is I blended reasonably well right off the bat. And I'm not saying that that's going to be true for everyone. It's just it's funny to me that all these people who went really wild with really, really custom user interfaces because they kind of had to in order to stand out, now we're going to kind of have to pay the price It depend- in certain cases. Well, so- some developers could smell where the wind was blowing, yeah. though, like our friend underscore David Smith, whose weather app – who I can't remember the name of. Check the weather. Uh, his, like uh, he brought up, he brought up a control and he was testing it on iOS seven. And I said, "Oh, is that the new like OS player control?" Actually, this wasn't the weather app; it was some other app that he makes. He has too many of them. And he said, "No, that's a, that's." <laughs> I a believe UI. it was Feed Wrangler. Yeah, and he said that's a UI that I drew. And I'm like, "Well, that looks like iOS seven already." And Twitterific is another great example of another mm-hmm. app that, yeah, that sort of uh, you know, and 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 the weather app itself, like they or the Yahoo weather app for for that matter, uh, they they reacted to the same. I mean, Microsoft. Is it because Microsoft came out with Metro? Like that same, the, the direction the wind is blowing is that way. So if you did a custom UI and you did it in this theme, your app will not necessarily look out of place, at least in a static screenshot in iOS 7. And those people have got to be like, wow, this is great. I don't have that much work to do. Whereas the guys with super duper 3D rounded custom buttons that are trying to look like the OS buttons in iOS 6, but not really, they have a lot of work to do because you cannot put one of those buttons on on a screen <laughs> on an iOS 7 screen. Oh, yeah. It sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah, that's why th- there's really going to be, I mean, this I think by far is going to be the iOS release that has developers needing to do the most work. And 
and and you know you're right that you know I think there's there's going to be the two extremes of developers who use UIKit controls mostly unmodified will be pretty much fine with almost no changes, and people who make their entire interface custom, they're going to be fine too. Especially um, if they, the look they chose matches iOS 7. Correct. If they've made it entirely custom and everything has grass growing on it, well, then they're kind of screwed. Right. Like, I worry a little bit about um, TweetBot. Like, how, like, that style, that might not fit in well with the new, with iOS's new style. Like, all this, the whole style of, the, of like, you know, like yeah. those, those richly colored and gradiented apps that have all the, you know, like, all I mean, custom but is stuff. But that, that like is kind of custom, too. Like, what if you just left it like that? And then you go out of this OS and then you're into TweetBot. Like, doesn't your app become right. even more distinctive? Yeah, as, like, it might. A heavy, I mean, well, you know. I guess we'll have to see. <laughs> uh, the <laughs> other choice is redesign your whole freaking app. Every right. single button in control. Yeah, like, I think you're right. Like, Twitterific is a good example of, like, how the, they they lucked out big time. I mean, you know, they saw they saw where the style was going also. But it was very clear, like, Twitterific, when it came out, looked totally radical. And now it's looking like, oh, that was that's going to fit in very well. <laughs> um, but I, I think, so it's the, it's the developers who are in the middle who are going to have probably the most work to do, which is, and which I was, I've always been in this camp, especially with Instapaper. With the magazine, I did a, I did a lot of custom stuff, but um, with Instapaper, I was always in the camp of use UIKit stuff and then modify it slightly, or or modify it, you know, yeah. to 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 do things that it can't do. So like, you know, you fake you fake this shape or you you fake this pixel, and like that. If that's been your approach, I think there's going to be a lot of work to well, do. What are like the iPad version of Instapaper? Like that looks like it had weird custom stuff on the side, doesn't it? The iPad version will actually be okay because the iPad version was almost entirely custom. It's the I think Instapaper for iPhone is is gonna is gonna have some issues, um, but uh, fortunately it's not my problem anymore. <laughs> no, but uh, tip, tip to guy English if you're listening. Right. <laughs> no, I think um, and, and the magazine should be fine too. Um, but I, I think what what you're really gonna have to consider and what we're gonna see this is going to be. An uncomfortable transition this fall when this comes out for developers, for users, because so much is different. I think apps that use mostly the old stuff, even if you can get them to not look broken, they will start feeling old and dated. Like one one of the biggest changes is the way that the, that like view controllers have this new depth and they kind of push over. It's they they've they've almost adopted the the basement interface metaphor. As like like the way those the way those things move and are spatially arranged, uh, they've they've kind of adopted that for view controllers now, like like the, for the navigation pushes and stuff. I think if your app uses the old style stuff where you have full screen view controller and then you're going to push down to another level and everything slides off screen and new thing slides on, if you're doing that a lot, uh, I think it's going to start to feel old. Even if it looks okay, it's going to feel like an antiquated design. And you're, and there's so much new stuff with parallax, with physics, there, there, and just new styles, new paradigms. So much new stuff that I feel like you're gonna have to significantly rethink your app in, in a lot of cases to make it feel modern and at home in iOS seven. And I would really, I'm, I'd be shocked uh, if anybody could really pull it off very well without dropping support for iOS six and before. Yeah, I think the biggest the biggest visual trend aside from all the stuff that's obvious, like looking at the pictures, is this was a big trend back in the the earlier iOS days, and developers of their own accord have been abandoning it. But back in the old days, every single freaking app had a top bar and a and a toolbar thing on the bottom. I forget mm-hmm. what the names of those are, right? And now, navigation bar and the toolbar, right? And now they're like, and people started to give them up. First, they gave up the bottom one and tried to do everything with the top one, and then they tried to like have the top one so you could hide it. And and Apple's apps in iOS seven, it's like everything everything is full screen. 
your controls, if they're there at all, have to be minimal and maybe make them disappear when people aren't using them. It's just like your app fills the entire screen from top to bottom, including even the status bar, which is now like translucent. Mm -hmm. And your app is drawing underneath that. I mean, it's not so much you can do because the status bar is going to have stuff in it. It's not like you can draw there. But that is a totally different philosophy. And it's kind of weird that like the, the screen got taller and they said also ditch those stupid bars on top and the bottom. Like yeah. you just get even more room for there, the content, right? and that's part of the thing that looks old about it is when you see like it's like a hat and like a belt. It's got a utility belt on the bottom, and it's got like this headband <laughs> or hat on the top, and then this little, and then it makes the already small window, and like, and through those two things, you can see your app hiding behind it, and those are like the button controls. And now it's like maybe some wispy words in a small font at the top, and maybe maybe you know <laughs> nothing on the bottom, and then everything disappears when you scroll, and if you tap it, the words come back, and you can tap them. That is. Like, you will have to change your application. And that's why, like you said, like, you can't just say, okay, well, I'll just have, I'll just do conditionals and say, if you're on iOS 6, draw crazy ass toolbars. But if you're not, then you're making two apps at that point. Right. You can't, like, you can't change your entire interface or, like, fundamental parts of its navigation for just iOS 7 and keep all of it. I mean, that's, that's just ridiculous. But I don't know. And I think this is obviously the beginning of a new paradigm in a lot of ways. And I don't think Apple got everything right. And, you know, like, you know, we said earlier, I think the icons are, are pretty rough. Um, I, I, one of my, one of my friends described the icons as, uh, they look like somebody's first illustrator project. And that I think is pretty apt. Um, I, I'm shocked at how bad they are, honestly. The the thing is that they're bold. They're not, because I can imagine icon designs that fit exactly with this, this aesthetic that do not look as ugly like desaturate the colors like they could think of the super desaturated like os 10 things when they took all the color out of the sidebar icons or whatever you could right. do a super desaturated subtle version where all this is just beautiful simple flat line art i'm saying flat to mean like they have not shaded stuff to make it look like it's puffy like everything right. is you know what i mean like it's supposed to be beautiful like ink drawing printed on paper just don't use like bright pink and bright purple and like don't use such saturated colors, and it would still fit with the aesthetics theme. Because the aesthetics theme is like, oh, the buttons don't have borders around them; they're just they're just uh, words, and the words have a color to let you know that they're active. Like that theme is not in itself ugly and is nice, but the icons are just like, I'm pink and purple, and I got a, you know, a yellow <laughs> pointy thing on my spinny dial, and I'm Safari and newsstand. Look at me; I got Fisher Price books on my and God Game Center <laughs> with like they got rid of the stupid green felt, but now it's like. Just giant blobs of jello. It feels like a Barney show or just like a, a preschool. <laughs> I, I, I found the felt and like the parlor game thing insulting. I find this insulting too. Like they just do not, they still do not understand how gamers would like to see themselves or how they identify. And maybe they just, again, maybe they don't care because they're not making something for gamers. Right. But it's not, it's not attractive. But, and going back a sec, you know, just to finish that thought, like I think they are starting this whole new paradigm and they didn't get everything right. I think a lot of this stuff, like, you know, the, a lot of things now are more gesture-based and therefore are harder to discover. A lot of things that, you know, are buttons or are things that cause things to happen don't look like buttons anymore. And, and it's like there's all these all these changes that, um, you know, some of them I think we can agree. Like, like John Gruber wrote this, wrote this pretty good post last night about, um, about, like, how, you know, the training wheels are no longer necessary. Like people people know how to work touchscreen devices now, and, we, and you don't need everything to look like a button and things like that. Um, and I think that's true, but but I think I think Apple might have gone a little bit too far in the other direction. And I, I think I think time will tell, you know, whether they have to course correct a little bit or not. But um, ultimately, I think whatever whatever Apple and developers do with this this year, 
we're going to have to revise significantly next year. But just you know, once we see this thing in action, once the whole world is using these you know, th- this new paradigm and these new these new standards, uh, then we can start making changes and, and seeing how how it works in real use. Um, but I think it's going to be a really uncomfortable transition period while while we all figure this out. It's, I think it's exciting. I think the you know I think Apple has a lot of revision they need to do with the styling of it. But I, but I think it's exciting overall. Like like I I like the animations. I like, like basically to clarify what I like. I I hate the icons and I hate some of the text and layout decisions they've made. But I love the the 3D stuff. I love the depth. I love the animations. Uh, mm-hmm. That that stuff. I, I that's that all rocks for me. You know the, the best example of the training wheels thing. I think is the lock screen because everyone knows how to slide down lock right by now, and it still says slide down lock, and it still has an animation that goes from lock to light, but it no longer looks like a little inset plastic thing that you drag along a little track cut into the, the top of your phone. They right. no longer need that. But I think on the other hand, one of the things that like that we all know, you know the little, what is it, the rectangle icon with the arrow leaping out of it to the right? The it's share, the the, the share yeah. thing, or the fact that the gear menu is settings. Nerds know what those things are, but I've seen plenty of regular people using iOS devices, and they don't know how to like share a photo Despite the fact that seven apps that they've used have shown in all seven that little square with the arrow leaping out of it is probably like how you share something, the word share is more, you know, more of an affordance for them than that stupid little icon. Again, despite the fact that icon is used everywhere, you think like you would pick up the pattern, like oh, when I want to share something from an app, I hit that little rectangle. Now that it actually says share and and the fact that it's blue everywhere shows you can tap it, I think that actually is a trade-off in the other direction and they made an emphasis of that like we're using words instead of icons because sometimes icons can be inscrutable and even though nerds pick up the patterns really quickly regular people don't so it's interesting that they're like not hand-holding you on that because once you learn swiped open no one forgets that it's like that's it you, you know it you do it a bazillion times it's burned into your memory it only happens in one place the context is clear maybe people aren't learning gear is settings or share is that little rectangle thing and it's better to have the words on them. So I I think they're trying to react to a population that is learning how to use smartphones but at the same time recognizing the things that people are failing to accomplish with smartphones because of these stupid inscrutable little icons. Exactly. Yeah, and to go back to what you were saying Marco about the animations, the animation to go between like the an app and the home screen uh, it's hard to describe, but I love it. I think it's really well done. I think it looks great. Um, the new multitasking setup, I feel like something's just a little off about it. Perhaps that the little screenshot of whatever app you're looking at needs to be it, a little bigger or something. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't yeah. feel like I think even Pomos felt better, which is a very similar metaphor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm not sure what specifically doesn't feel right. I am totally thumbs up on the premise of it. I think it's a lot better than what we've got with the little multitasking tray in iOS 6. But it, it didn't feel right, but, I, but I'm totally behind the principle of it. And, and just those little affordances, just that animation to the home screen and the multitasking gesture, uh, the multitasking view, that alone makes me clamor for putting this on my carry phone, which I'm not going to do because I did that with iOS 5 and I hated myself. Yeah, for by it, the way, but... we've seen a few, a few of our friends have, have put this on their carry phones. And we've seen the reboot. And the, <laughs> I, would, I would not recommend installing the iOS 7 beta on your carry phone. It, it looks I, – I didn't do it, thank God, but it looks like it's pretty – uh, unstable and not ready yeah, at all. Put it on the night phone only. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's interesting too that that the iPad beta is not out yes. yet, and that and that they didn't show anything on iPads yet. Yeah, they like flashed up a like a static like screenshot. I think yeah. of, it was probably fake. But I mean, like you know, fake. we the what, ever since the iPad has existed uh, since 2010 and since iOS 3.2, um, it's always it's always had a, a crazy mix of like just blown up iPhone UI 
and and its own custom stuff. And generally, iPad apps that used stock UI kit stuff looked way worse than iPhone apps that use stock UI kit yeah. stuff. And and I wonder if they're going to take this opportunity. Well, if they're either going to take this opportunity to make the iPad version more distinct from the iPhone version, or if they went into this design trying to make just one design that looked better on both, rather than have a phone design that just blows up kind of to iPad. But it seems weird, like, again, going back to Safari, do you want an iPad screen to, like, for the controls of Safari just to, like, disappear as soon as you start scrolling? Because space is not as, as much of a premium. Right. Like, you, you have that extra space. So is the solution, oh, well, on, on, on an iPad, the toolbar doesn't do that shrinking thing? Or is the is that an opportunity to find out something better you can do with it? I, I don't know. Like, I, I think... That's why the iPad always feels like the redheaded stepchild. It's like eh, it kind of gets a phone UI stretch or a custom thing or whatever. But it's not. Or maybe now I, it doesn't. Sometimes I don't feel like like shouldn't they shouldn't they decide to do something like that? Make the standard UI on the iPad tailored to the iPad uh, and make it so you could make an app with all standard UI on an iPad that both looks different from the the iPhone version and is better in ways that take advantage of the larger screen. You know. Yeah, I guess I guess we'll have to see what happens when they when they show us the iPad version because we we have we haven't seen yeah. any of it. And again, we're all assuming it's like time pressure, like because you know we have to we have to make have these things ready for the keynote. What can we do? Oh, how about we just uh, take all resources off the iPad version until after the keynote? Fine, like that's you know that's yeah. a way that's a way to meet the deadline, and it's fine. Like whatever, it's not due until fall. But uh, if you have an iPad app, you're now you're just kind of like twiddling your thumbs, going, "All right, well, I'm gonna have to do something." Yeah. <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of other things iOS 7 related to talk about, but in terms of the visual stuff, are we saying yes, no, or maybe? I think I'm saying, uh, to, uh, um, to back you guys up, I like it-ish. I think it's jarring, but w- what John said especially earlier, where you look at your current iOS 6 device and you go, oh. And and so I think there's going to need to be some tweaks, but certainly it's it's a, it's looking a lot more modern. It's looking a lot more fresh. And so I think I'm behind the changes, but I definitely want to put it on a device and play with it for a while. It was time for a change. Like, yeah. That's the bottom line. Whatever, whatever it is, it was time for a change, and this is a change. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. now people have already complained. They're like, oh, I think uh, Jeff Atwood said, uh, you know, oh, I've seen the future, and it's just more icons on a background. Yeah, Shockingly, Jeff Atwood yeah. didn't like something. They, that they, they didn't change that part of it, but <laughs> visual, like the design language of the OS, uh, and even like the fundamental features like multitasking and stuff, it's a, this is a change, uh, and a change was due, and I really do feel like we won't be able to look back at the old stuff. Maybe it won't look pinstripes awful, although I think that blue, like that blue they use for the top bar, will look pinstripes awful. I think yeah. it almost already does at that point, and we have plenty of chances to refine this because they've refined the current iOS look that's changed drastically from 1.0, but it was clearly an evolution of a single beast, and this is the first iteration of whatever this thing is. So six more versions from this, this thing could look very different, but still be. Uh, a direct descendant of iOS 7. So I'm excited to see a new a new stage in evolution even if this is kind of the the awkward half form embryonic version of it. <laughs> yeah, like I I like I like the foundation they've laid out here. And and I I like the direction they're heading. I don't like a lot of the individual little choices they've made here, but you know, yeah, that's that's going to change over time. That's going to be refined and uh, and we'll see. And and we should also before we run out too much out of time we should really, you know, talk a little bit about uh, the the technical changes. With um, I, th- I think I think the the two big things going into it that were on most people's wish lists were um, 
at least most geeks wish list, <laughs> were better multitasking and better inter-app communication uh, support, or at least some kind of like contract or intense-like system. And we got one of those, and we didn't get the other one. And I think I think that's probably worth talking about, right? I mean, you know, so we didn't get the the Android-like intense or the Windows-like contract systems where an app can say, I know how to share photos. Who, who can take a photo? Or, you know, I want to share a URL or I can open URL. So whenever anyone else has a URL to share, show my app as something they can send it to. You know, all, things like that. We didn't get anything like that as far as we know. Or changing the default apps, leveraging a system like Correct. that. Correct. Right, yeah. Being able to say, I'm going to use Chrome as my default browser or whatever. Yeah, we didn't get that either. Um, so those are that's a big thing, a huge feature or a huge category of features that we just simply did not get. Um, but we did get substantially improved multitasking. That is going to be major for, not for all apps, you know, a lot of apps will have worked just fine in the current um, method of multitasking, but having those periodic background wake-ups and being able to wake up on push notifications for all apps, not just newsstand apps once a day, you know, like for now it's for all apps and you can set that, the, the polling intervals and that the, it'll try to pull when the phone's woken up, when the person checks the time or whatever, like, that's really cool, and that's going to make things like, you know, news apps and Twitter apps and, you know, Podcast social. clients. Yeah, so many things it's going to make just awesome. It, that, will, it will make your phone feel faster. Exactly. Because when, you, when you launch an app, the stuff will already be there, and it won't be a launch app, watch a spinner. Watch right, a spinner, wait for watch a spinner, wake it, load the new updates. Like, hopefully they'll be there. And, and presumably, I, I hope Apple has done that also with their own apps, with things like iCloud updates. Like, I've always hated how, you know, like you launch you launch Calendar or whatever and all your stuff like pops in a few seconds later. If you're lucky. It, right, yeah, because <laughs> cause it wasn't, you know, it, even though you edited these things three hours ago on your desktop, you know, right. you, it, it, the it, app it, never it, checked. It never had a chance to run. Exactly. And, and like, yeah, like even Apple stuff was bad about that before. So maybe, I, I hope they've taken this opportunity to uh, to fix their own stuff in that way too. I mean it, it, it looks like this is a pretty solid feature update. You know, they they have a lot of the a lot of text and font improvements too. I mean, it looks like a pretty great update for for APIs and for developers. Yeah, and what I liked about the multitasking stuff is that I mean, we couldn't talk about the particulars even if we knew them, but we don't know them anyhow. Right, we don't, yeah, we don't but, know but it seemed like one of the things that I was really worried about was if they took the Android approach of every app can install a daemon that can live and run forever. And obviously that's not Apple style, but we weren't entirely sure if they were going to just be marginally less restrictive. And I, there's an argument that that's what they did, but it's certainly less restrictive enough that it should make a really notable positive difference. And yet also restrictive enough that I don't think our batteries will last half as long because it, things start downloading in the background. Yeah, the key the key feature is apps that you don't use eventually fade away, and that is the thing that kills your right. stupid phone. If you have like if it's a free for all and you download some stupid app and you forget about it, and then you don't understand why your battery is dying, and you blame it on the app you downloaded today, but it really was the app you downloaded three days ago that keeps running in the background and doing something like. The, those apps will just no longer be given a chance to run in the background by iOS because it will say, "Look, the guy doesn't, the user does not run you. You never get a chance to run in the background." I wonder if it will actually turn off your push notifications. But that would be interesting. That's interesting. But, <laughs> but like, yeah, because people could work around that. Like, I'm trying to think of if you are malicious and you are an annoying thing and you just want to load your ads or something. Could you make an app that constantly receives push notifications and constantly wipes up and drains your battery? I guess I we'll was, see. That kind of gets back to like the the OS 10 Mavericks feature where you've got a. You know, where you can rate applications by how much energy they're they're using. They still have not brought that to iOS, 
you know, like right. your process viewer where you find like your whatever. Because Android has that like here's what used your battery power, but on OS 10 they feel okay about it. Maybe maybe they'll bring it to iOS soon, or maybe maybe it'll be in the shipping version. Who knows? Um, yeah, I I think overall though this is a a solid update, and the OS 10 update looks pretty good too. Um, I'm I'm very happy with what they announced. You know, we didn't get everything we wanted. But we got a lot of it. It was not yeah. boring. Not no, boring. Not boring at all. Not. No, not boring. And I mean, I, I really think that they came out swinging. I know we've said that a few times now, but it, the air in the room, whether or not it came across in the video, was that Apple was fired up. They were, I don't know if angry is the right word, but they were they were ready to fight back. They've been they've been sitting around working on things tr- quietly. And now they're ready to say to the world, hey, screw you. We're, we never left. It's not that we're back. We never even we, left. And we didn't even mention iRadio, which is like, and we got one of those too. Right, yeah. By we, the way. <laughs> we just bolted on a complete Pandora clone. <laughs> right. For, for less money. Yeah, built into everything. Yeah, yeah. that's that looks like it's going to yeah, be I awesome. mean, be- between Marco and I, we counted probably five or 10 or 15 different apps or companies that had some serious thinking to do after the yeah. keynote. I mean, it was it was impressive. That's, Whether, and you know what's great about this? Just overall, this is going to make everyone start talking about Apple a lot more than they have been. You know, it, like Apple has lost so much of the attention and, and, and yeah. the interest of the press and of reviewers and of nerds because everyone else has been doing all these crazy things and Apple's been kind of resting on its laurels, apparently, to the public. But now they come out with all this crazy new stuff and now, like, they're back in the discussion and... And we have a lot of work to do, and we have a lot to see, and and that's I'm very excited about that. It would be great if it was a one-two punch, and the next iPhone was the iPhone six with a new physical design. I'm not predicting that, but boy, that would be that's that a, would really that would like impressive. you know. What, I mean? well, what, do, what if they come out with like a bigger screen version this fall? Yeah, like I mean, they're they're setting up because you know that's usually their big thing these days is like oh a new iPhone is out. This was not a, there was no new iPhone here, but they did all this stuff, and they didn't even do the new iPhones like the new iPhone, you know. We all just assume it's going to be the five form factor, but like, imagine you could imagine a device that that matches up with iOS seven, right? Yeah, and that's kind of the the idea they're going for. I mean, they talked briefly but sternly about collaboration being a really important part of iOS seven, and and that you know the the design of the device should inform the design of the software. And and so you very you make a very good point that it very well could happen. And the, I think the thing that made me laugh the most was when Schiller it was Schiller right that was doing the Mac Pro bit and and he said you know what what was his quote can't innovate anymore my ass yeah and, right. then, and then they put the camera on Steve Wozniak in the audience and I think he might have written an article once that said uh, or been in an interview once that said Apple's not innovating anymore I don't want to throw Woz <laughs> under the bus I we think should have right. googled that beforehand and I think that's why they put the camera on him as soon as he said can't innovate anymore my ass and whatever you think of that Mac Pro and maybe people think oh it's not innovating that is not a regular computer that nope. is not like we made a box and put CPUs in it and RAM and stuff yeah and yeah regardless of of whether we're going to complain about its lack of hard drives or slots, that is that is innovative. That's for sure. Yeah. All right. I think we should wrap it up. Uh, this is uh, we we still have so much more to talk about for these things, and but we uh, I guess we'll have more to talk about next week once we are fully once we're packed full of stuff that we can't talk about from the NDA. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but this is great. I've, I'm really looking forward to all this stuff. Thanks a lot to our sponsors, uh, Backblaze. Go to backblaze.com slash ATP for awesome unlimited online backup. And Windows Azure Mobile Services. Go to windowsazure.com slash iOS to learn more about that. And thanks again to our podcast studio host, Jason Snell and Macworld, for letting us use this awesome studio. Uh, thanks a lot, Jason and Macworld. This helped us out a great deal. And all you listeners should thank them too, because now we can actually get the show out 
this week <laughs> and uh, and not leave you all hanging. So uh, thanks a lot, guys, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Now the show is over. They didn't even mean to begin because it was accidental. accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental. John didn't do any research. Marco and Casey wouldn't let him because it was accidental. accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental. And you can find the show notes at atp.fm. And if you're into Twitter, you can follow them at C-A-S-E-Y-L. ISS, so that's Casey Liss, M-A-R-C-O-A-R-M-E-N-T, Marco Armin, S-I-R-A-C, USA Syracuse, it's accidental, accidental, they didn't mean to, accidental, accidental, tech podcast, so long. I don't have a sign off. <laughs> Hey! Hey! Nice. Back. <laughs> I'm gonna open the door so you don't die any more than you've already. Do you want to say hi in an after dark something or? Hi no? everybody. <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh, actually, that mic's off. That <laughs> one's off. Yeah, yeah. That's right. You're welcome, Marco. <laughs> All right. <laughs>